Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, Tony Dolce. Tony, thank you for joining. Hey, Mark. My pleasure. I'm really uh, excited about uh, being on the uh, the podcast. Well, we're excited to have you, Tony. Um, so let's just kind of get into it. How does a guy who grew up in Connecticut end up coming full circle to lead the cyber practice at one of the most prestigious insurance carriers based in Connecticut? Uh, great question. Um, yeah, my my career has definitely been anything but uh, sort of just a straight line, linear type of a, uh, of a deal. So I, you know, um, lifelong resident of Connecticut, UConn undergrad, UConn Law School, practiced law at Hartford for several years with a big firm, then went to work for uh, a large carrier for 20 years uh, mostly on the claim side, um, uh, really became uh, you know one of the subject matter experts in the areas of like E and O and cyber. And uh, as time went on, um, I really started to move a little bit more toward the business side and 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 the underwriting piece. And uh, uh, this opportunity presented itself at the Hartford, which is um, uh, an institution in Connecticut. And uh, you only get so many pivots in your career, as I as I tell uh, junior folks. And so I uh, I jumped at the challenge uh, to be uh, on the business side, and I'm happy I did. So I've been uh, the head of professional liability, uh, cyber, and tech underwriting at the Hartford for almost two and a half years now, and uh, I'm really happy I uh, made the jump. So. Great. So, so you had mentioned the idea of claims and underwriting. You know, very few people make that kind of jump or have the ability to make that kind of jump. What's it like going from the claims to the underwriting side? It's really uh, sort of an interesting jump because I have to always remind myself to not talk in terms of claims, but more like accounts and things like that. And, and you do have a little bit of a different way of looking at uh, that side of the house. Um, and it's something where I, I, I really like the underwriting piece. Not that I didn't love my time in claims, but in underwriting, everybody's generally trying to get to a point where, uh, there's a, uh, a deal, an agreement, a win. So that's one of the things I really like about it. Um, because you're, you're working, you're working with, the, uh, you know, the producers and you're trying to do what's best for your insureds. And um, it's it's something where um, it's very collaborative. It's very social, and um, it's sometimes you have to. Uh, when I, I take a step back, I, I realize, wow, this I've really fully immersed myself in the uh, in the under underwriting world here. Where um, just a few years ago, um, I, you know, it was a little bit of a different story, kind of being on the outside looking into how the business was run, and now. Uh, that I'm actually um, in that uh, in that position. It's uh, it's great. So, so so you know, I, I'm really looking forward into diving into the difference between cyber and technology errors and omissions. 
But, you know, given that you're one of the most forethought leaders in the space, maybe you could just give the, the listeners, you know, what is a cyber policy and what is a techie and O policy? So great question. So, uh, you know, I like to ask folks, you know, who do you think needs a cyber policy? And most of the time, the answers I get are just about everybody. And I think that's correct. If you're doing business and you're on the internet, if you're possess possessing data, whether it's your customers, your employees, what have you, you probably need a cyber policy. Now, on the tech side, you know, are, are you developing uh, and providing tech services and products? Um, then you probably need some type of tech errors and emissions coverage. The interesting thing comes into where they both intersect um, because uh, as we'll get into a little bit more, you can have insuring agreements that cover both the exposures for both the cyber side and the tech ENO side. And so um, I think we're going to get into that in, in, a, in a minute, but it's one of those unique products that can potentially cover uh, the exposures that present, uh, especially for a technology company. When we think about kind of the history of technology errors and omissions, was it much different than the history of cyber liability? So, um, and I, I, I sad to say that I was actually around for a lot of the evolution of some of these products, <laughs> uh, kind of showing my age here. Um, but, you know, the, the cyber policies generally grew out of uh, these early 2000s media, you know, type of products where it was uh, online media policies, things like that. And then when breach notification laws came into existence in, the, in around 2003, when California passed its first uh, law, um, you started to have that need for a number of different coverages, both first party and third party. So not only in case you were sued, but in case there was some type of a breach, you needed the, the types of coverage um, like notification, uh, expenses, forensic expenses, breach coach expenses, and things like that. And then it, you get into uh, business interruption coverage or contingent business interruption coverage. And and as a sort of converse to that, tech e generally started in the 1980s or so um, and went into the 2000s where Originally, CGL policies were really not designed to cover certain uh, aspects of technology companies. You know, they're designed for, uh, we'd say, you know, PD and BI, property damage, bodily injury. But for more of the financial injuries, you needed to start um, having that coverage morph into something that covered professional services. Um, so, so what you have is as technology companies got more and more involved in the handling and transmitting of data and things like that, um, these uh, these coverages started to morph a little bit more into the cyber category. So, so what you end up having is potentially a product that covers both the errors and omissions, basically a wrongful act for doing professional services, along with potentially cyber coverage, because that's the business that they're, they're in. They're more susceptible to those types of perils. So we've talk, been talking about tech companies, you know, what, why, or, or technology errors and omissions, rather, why are technology companies such a high profile target, right? I mean, we, we all know about healthcare and financial institutions, mm -hmm. but why technology? 
I feel and I think a number of other folks feel that, you know, they're an attractive target for threat actors because many times if a threat actor is successful in compromising a tech provider, they can access downstream clients that are part of that tech supply chain. So in one fell swoop, they can come in there. If they, they're successful, they can potentially uh, impact a number of clients of the actual uh, tech provider. Um, and, and I've seen uh, facts that say that, you know, the tech companies account for nearly a quarter of, of ransomware attacks uh, within the last few years. They're, they're one of the most targeted industry verticals, I think, in the, in the, when you look at the landscape. And I think part of that is just they're, they're just a, a very attractive target by virtue of their interaction with their clients and what they do. So, so when we think about it, you know, you know, how is Hartford starting to differentiate themselves when it comes to technology errors and omissions, whether it be from a product standpoint or services or, um, so I think really where an established carrier like the Hartford comes in is that there's a number of different solutions for whatever situation a business owner finds himself in. They can have standalone tech uh, coverage. They can have the tech morphed with the cyber coverage. You can even have um, the, the, the just regular E&O morphs with the cyber coverage. So there's a number of different products we, we offer and, and and a number of different ways to go about finding the solution for what you need, whether you need to endorse on first party coverage if, if that's not already there, um, but just a number of different combinations of coverage that you offer, uh, I think kind of sets, sets you know those carriers apart that can provide those that, uh, a variety of solutions. Also, I think um, this type of uh, coverage and when a, a claim results in it, you need a, a, a specialized type of claim handler to do to, to handle these types of claims. And I know that from firsthand experience. Yeah. So you need uh, a specialized cyber tech you know, claim team. I know we have one of those designated for that at the Hartford. Um, but you really do need that kind of expertise so that um, you can help uh, get the best result for your insured and help guide them through, which could be sometimes a complicated uh, um, scenario of both first party and third party coverages, depending on what's happening. So, so when we think about the tech companies, you know, kind of focusing on them, is there any special liabilities that they have that are unique to technology firms? Or can you talk maybe about the liabilities technology firms do have? Sure. Uh, so from a, a network liability type of uh, view, you know, you have that, that the liabilities for just this type of cyber attacks and ransomware events that happen, network extortion. Um you have the, the data breaches and, and nowadays the double, triple extortion where data gets exfiltrated and then there's a you know an attached uh, you know demand for for money so that information isn't disclosed on the internet, things like that. Business interruption, uh, data restoration costs. A lot of that's first party, but then you also have the professional liability slash product liability piece that goes along with the E&L piece. So you have the third party lawsuits, um, wh whether that is 
you fail to live up to your contractual requirement in your product or your services, maybe there was a delay, um, you still have uh, potential exposure for regulatory exposures and things like that. Um, and then you also have to deal with sometimes uh, subrogation issues. So if something goes wrong, what is the, are, you know, what's the the arrangement with the client? You know, where are their hold harmless agreements? Are there contractual provisions and things like that? So there's a number of different entanglements uh, on the third party side and the first party side that can that can um, uh, cause a, a claim to be made uh, on a tech you know, uh, type policy. You know, Tony, one of the biggest uh, areas of concern when I speak to just, you know, general folks in the cyber marketplace is kind of supply chain and systemic risk. Um, you know, is, the, is it possible that some of these vulnerabilities are being passed down via technology? Absolutely. So there's a, a number of things come to mind, and a lot of them correspond with um, some of the larger events that the cyber industry has seen in the last few years. Um, and so you think of things like, the use of open source software uh, that many developers use that was the, really led to the log4j uh, issue that occurred in, back in 2021. Um, then you think of things like remote patching, kind of gets into the the whole solar winds um, uh, event that happened a few years ago, where there was um, you know patching issues that could could have basically happened uh, remotely. Um, and then you have things like uh, password managers that, that store client usernames and passwords that can sometimes get, get compromised. And then you have things like remote management and monitoring tools that brings to mind the Kaseya uh, event in 2021. So there's a number of different um, ways a lot of times that vulnerabilities are passed down, you know, what we'll call the supply chain uh, for technology companies. Um, you know, that wasn't exactly an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's many other sure. uh, incidents of that, but those sort of come to mind because uh, they were connected to some of the larger events that our industry has seen over the last few years. And, and is there any best practices that some of these technology companies could perhaps uh, uh, implement to help mitigate this type of risk? Yeah, I think there's at least a handful of things that if people came away uh, thinking of these that, that that they might be in a, a better position going forward. Um, these include things like performing um, a software composition analysis. You know, there's certain tools that can track vulnerabilities, things like that. Um, having regular code review reviews, whether they're both they're static or dynamic scans type of things. Security testing, pen testing that that's that's commonplace and. And a lot of times that can be done in-house or hiring a third party. Uh, a lot of um, cyber carriers offer these types of pre-loss types of services, either at a reduced rate or complimentary. Um, and then one of my one of my favorite uh, things when you get me on a soapbox is to have uh, an, a good incident response plan, a good IRP, right? And so years ago when I used to talk about that, sometimes you look over the crowd and, and there'd be blank stares. But now most people, most businesses, I think, uh, have some form of incident response plan. And in connection with that, I would say a few things. I would say, you know, make sure you're you're making your cyber carrier a, an integral part of that IRP. So utilize their 
their resources, utilize the claims folks there because they're they're in-house experts at what they do. And and for an incident response plan to be good, you need to test it. You need to make sure the decision makers are in the loop. You know, uh, have a tabletop exercise. And a lot of times we can arrange those with, with um, incident response coaches. And, and usually um, we could do it at a, at a, uh, a very low cost to the insured. And then lastly, I would say, you know, having some type of a rollback plan to close vulnerabilities and limited impact if something gets rolled out and it doesn't go as, as you hoped it would. And, and also um, dark web monitoring for, you know, early chat or anything like that, you know, so monitoring your, your product and what's going on is also another uh, helpful tool. So between all those things, I think you can help mitigate, you're never going to, nothing's a silver bullet but you can help mitigate the potential exposure um, for in this area. Tony, I mean, you've given us a lot to digest uh, and, and, and certainly appreciate your guidance and your counsel, you know, on this topic um, and the fact that you're willing to take time out of your busy day and kind of come on the show and chat cyber with us. Um, you know, as this develops, hopefully we can have you come back on, you know, as the, the industry continues to develop and perhaps give us some insights, uh, you know, going forward. Absolutely, Mark. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate the uh, the invitation today. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Chat Cyber. Okay. Thank you.